Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And Medicaid and Social Security. These things do not sap our initiative. They strengthen us. They do not make us a nation of takers. They free us to take the risks that make this country great. This is Jim Hightower saying, at this difficult juncture in America's long and uncertain journey toward egalitarianism, when powerful forces of elitism are trying to push our society down the dark alley of plutocracy, this was the speech we needed. Read it for yourself at www.whitehouse.gov slash blog slash inaugural address. Hi, Joe Messina here, host of the Real Side Radio Show. Real talk, real facts, simply the real side of the issues. Heard right here overnights on KCAA. Or listen to my show on demand by going to the KCAA website. That's kcaaradio.com. Click on the podcast button found on the homepage under my pretty picture. KCAA Radio, where no listener is left behind. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. Call one eight seven seven nine seven nine my tv The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital sound. Satellite TV looks. So, disable the cable and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-877-979-MY-TV right now to sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and up to four rooms. 1-877-979-MY-TV. Welcome to today's edition of Culture Shocks. This is Barry Lynn. Uh, used to be prior to, say, December of this year, every, every morning I'd, I'd wake up and, and then I'd go downstairs and I'd turn on the little television in the kitchen, make some eggs, watch CNN, always wondering, sometimes aloud, even if there was nobody there to listen but myself, whether we perhaps had gone to war overnight, uh, maybe Syria, uh, maybe Iran, maybe Chad. Uh, did something happen overnight? I say I used to do that because now I have one of those tablets, so I don't even have to get out of bed. I can just turn CNN.com on, and I can figure out whether we're at war somewhere else. Of all these flashpoints, a lot of confusion when we talk about 
foreign policy on this show, we try to get the best and brightest, the people who really understand the nuance because they've been there, they've studied these areas, and we uh, try to start with some pretty fundamental questions. Joining me today is Flint Everett and Hillary Mann Leverett. They are the authors of the new book, Going to Tehran, Why the United States Must Come to Terms with the Islamic Republic of Iran. Thank you both for being with us. Thank, Thank you, you very much. Both of you have a lot of experience in, you've been to Iran, you know what you're talking about, you've worked in Democratic and Republican administrations, and there are people, I'm sure, who are listening who say there is an inevitability about a military clash with Iran involving the United States. But you think this can be avoided, but you have to have some kind of better contact, clearer communications, or it might happen. Fair I, to say, Flint? I, I, I think that's right. I think we are on a trajectory now. Uh, with intensifying sanctions, with a very dysfunctional approach to diplomacy with, um, with Tehran, that if we don't get off that path, we are headed toward another U.S.-initiated war in the Middle East. That is one reason we wrote this book. In the current climate, if the United States starts a war with another Middle Eastern country to disarm it of weapons of mass destruction, it does not have the blowback to the American position will be disastrous. It will make as much damage as was done to us by the Iraq War. It will make the Iraq War look almost trivial by, by comparison. And that's why a big part of why we wrote this book. You know, I, I want to I get to some uh, real basics about the governance of Iran today, it, and also, you know, if this were television, as I said to you off air, I mean, we'd put a map up here and we'd, we'd get serious, but we can't do the map thing. President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, elected in 2009, uh, Hillary Mann Leverett, is he a legitimate leader of the nation? Well, you know, it's very interesting to think about a map of Iran or the Islamic Republic of Iran as it is today. Right. Because even though we can't see it, we certainly can imagine it. And I remember when I was teaching at Yale, I was teaching with, uh, with General Stanley McChrystal. He said, you know, when he was in Afghanistan, the biggest lesson he learned is you can learn a tremendous amount looking at a map. And for Iran, it's critically important to imagine this map because Iran is surrounded by 15 countries. It has 15 land and maritime borders, all of whom are basically hostile to the very idea, or up until the overthrow of Saddam Hussein, have all been basically hostile to the very idea of an Islamic republic in Iran. And what one of the reasons that they're so hostile is this idea of enduring and growing and evolving legitimacy, which the Islamic Republic holds out not only for its own people, but for Muslims really everywhere, particularly in the Middle East. It's hard for many here to understand that, but the, what the Islamic Republic is trying to build, and in part what is so threatening to the unrepresentative governments around it and the countries around mm -hmm. it, is that it is trying to build an indigenous political order that it develops and cultivates from its own history, its own religion, its own beliefs, its own challenges, that is participatory in its governance and is, it tries to deliver, not in a perfect way, but in a, an evolving and 
consistently evolving way deliver for its people, and one that practices and promotes a fierce sense of foreign policy independence. That is what the Islamic Republic of Iran really drives its governance. It doesn't do it in a perfect way for its people, but it drives its governance. And so we've seen over the past 32 years a tremendous amount of endurance that has defied consistent, relentless Western expectations and predictions of its collapse or demise. Why do you think, uh, why do you, either one of you, why do you think that after the 2009 elections there were so many people, and this, it didn't, readily translate into Republican views and Democrat views, conservative, liberal views. Why did so many people strive to say this election was rigged, the whole thing is phony, there's no integrity to this government? What's going on behind those comments? It's what we call analysis by wishful thinking. We <laughs> can't imagine that a political order like this could be legitimate, so we look for uh, things that we can hold up as a sure sign that it isn't legitimate. I mean, the fact was, in 2009, there were more than four, there were 14 polls, methodologically serious polls, I mm -hmm. should say that, done by both Western groups and by uh, Iranians. And all of them showed that Ahmadinejad's victory with about, you know, just a little over 60% of the vote, which is what the official results say that he got, was eminently plausible. Neither Museveen or anyone in his campaign ever adduced any real evidence of electoral fraud, never could show how the fraud was, was, was perpetrated, even though Museveen could easily have done so given mm -hmm. the number of observers that he, that sure. he, that he had. Um, but yet this myth of the stolen election took hold. All of our so-called Iran experts, um, many of whom don't, you know, even go to Iran, but they endorsed this idea, and it fit in with American preconceptions. So we all bought it. Well, even even more than that, you know, for on the, you know, just for simplicity's sake, sure. on the kind of the Republican or new conservative side of our debate, I don't think there was any expectation that elections in Iran will change anything. They've written off that country as an irredentist, anti-American bastion. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really matter who's president. But the difference that really made this powerful in our political culture, I think, was with the election of President Barack Hussein Obama in 2008, which gave the left or the Democrats here a sense that regime change is actually not a bad idea, bringing democracy and freedom to people everywhere is not a bad idea. It's just that the Republicans, particularly under Bush, did it badly. They did right. it on the, you know, on the end of a tank or a bayonet. And that, you can't force people to adopt democracy. But a Democratic Party president with such charisma could bring almost a kind of soft regime change to these places. Democrats can just do it better. And so there was this great expectation, I think, among Democrats and the Democratic foreign policy elite here that Iran would have an election and they would choose a better president. They right. would get rid of you know, what we characterize as this maniac Ahmadinejad, and they would elect someone better and see regime change can come to these people. Um, it just doesn't need to come on the, on the end of a tank. Right. And so, so when, when it didn't happen, uh, the, the disappointment, the devastation here was something about people's expectations here. It did not reflect reality on the ground in the Islamic Republic. And, and on Ahmadinejad's administration, we always like to point out, this comes as a bit of a shock to Americans, if you don't like Ahmadinejad, as of this summer, he's going to be out of office. Right. Because that's what the Islamic Republic's constitution said, says. 
And that's what they have done for the last four presidents who have won, you know, two terms. The Constitution says you have to leave after two terms. That's what they have done, and that's what Ahmadinejad is going to do. Exactly, and there's no evidence to suggest, uh, except in people's uh, fantasies, that uh, he's planning to change those rules now. When we come back, though, we're going to be uh, rejoined by Flint Leverett and Hillary Mann Leverett, the authors of Going to Tehran. We are going to talk, though, just a little bit about some of the myth-busting that needs to go on. But I'll tell you, President Ahmadinejad, he may only be around a few more months, but in the last year and a half, he said some pretty strange things that lead people to make judgments that maybe are far too broad and dangerous. Now back to Culture Shocks with Barry Lynn on the Genesis Communication Network. Every month, Americans United for Separation of Church and State publishes an award-winning magazine called Church and State. It exposes efforts by the so-called religious right to eat away at the core principles of religious freedom. Should your tax dollars fund expensive private religious schools and cut back funding for your local public schools? Should government bureaucrats get back in the business of writing unity prayers for your children to recite at school? Should we teach good, solid science or replace it with religious messages? about intelligent design? Should special interest groups force your school library to take popular books from the Harry Potter series to Judy Bloom novels off the shelves? These are the issues explored every month in Church and State magazine. To learn more, go to www.au.org. Americans United fights to protect and promote the constitutional principle of church-state separation. For more information, please call us at 1-800-875-3707. Making the right decisions is a challenge to investors. Are we going to see economic growth, slide into a recession, or at worst, depression? Hi, Ted Anderson from Midas Resources. We all know when a company acts irresponsibly, divesting ourselves in a move towards safety is prudent. When the market becomes volatile, U.S. Treasuries are a safe haven. But what do you do when the U.S. government overextends itself and spends beyond its means? Many investors are turning toward gold as a common-sense alternative to traditional paper investments. Midas Resources has put together a powerful book titled 10 Reasons to Own Gold, discussing costs, benefits, risks, featuring full-color illustrations, weights, and measures. The book is free and can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. Paper investments are dwarfed by gold's 6,000-year history. Discover how gold may be right for you and your IRA by calling 800-686-2237. Whether buying or it's time for you to sell, the book is free. Call 800-686-2237. American gardeners and fellow patriots make the right choice with your money, time, and your family food supply. Choose 100% pure heirloom seeds in the Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com. Why spend more? The Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com is only $37.95 and includes 20 varieties of pure, hardy, easy-to-grow heirloom seeds. Yes, only $37.95. That's 70% less than our competitors. You could buy three Survival Seed Vaults for less than one of theirs. The Survival Seed Vault from MyPatriotSupply.com includes detailed planting and seed-saving instructions and ships same day. Plus, all orders over $49 ship free. MyPatriotSupply.com is American-owned by patriots like you, passionate about freedom and preparedness. Call now, 866-229-0927. That's 866-229-0927. Or discover more emergency preparedness items when you order at MyPatriotSupply.com. Choose the original. Choose the Survival Seed Vault at MyPatriotSupply.com. 
Fight back this cold and flu season with the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. Why Ali C? Because it helps your body fight viruses, bacteria, and fungi. Ali C has been scientifically proven in double-blind studies using low doses to greatly reduce the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin, the active ingredient in crushed garlic. Studies show Ali C is effective against MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections. One tablet of Ali C has the equivalent of 40 cloves of garlic. Ali C supports your body's resistance to all types of conditions and can help lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. So boost your body's resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 1-877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com for your Ali C today. All right, we are back right here on Culture Shocks talking about going to Tehran. I'm not going. That's the name of the book, Why the United States Must Come to Terms with the Islamic Republic of Iran. Flint Leverett and Hillary Mann Leverett are my guests, the co-authors of this book. They actually go to Tehran. They've been there not too long ago. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, but this book among other things, tries to get past some of the mythological thinking that Americans do, left, right, and center, about what's really going on in Iran. Uh, to either one of you, uh, on the personal side, uh, Ahmadinejad, who will be leaving this summer, but he says some very weird things. I mean, a few years back when he first took office, he's, he went to Columbia University, gave a speech that was contentious in its own right, but in the course of that speech he said there really aren't any gay people in the country. Why does he say things like that? And you can understand when he says something that's so, I think, clearly false, that people wonder if this guy has all of his marbles together. Well, one thing that's important and we try to, to lay out in our book is that he is saying some things that are purposely provocative because they serve his political interests. He is in the Iranian context, and I would say even, even more broadly than that, he is really one of the most, um, one of the most effective politicians. Now, it's politically incorrect to say that here because mm -hmm. people don't like him, but just because we don't like him um, shouldn't overshadow the reality of how effective he is. So part of it is that he says things that are purposefully provocative. The other piece is that things are, are mistranslated or are taken in a context where, you know, if he were given, I think, an opportunity to speak more broadly about them, we would hear them differently. So, for example, on the issue of gays, what he said is that there is no gay culture. In Iran. Now that still sounds insulting to American, mm -hmm. many American audiences. But what it gets at is that there's, there's no heterosexual culture in Iran either. I mean, it's not, the culture there is a very conservative Islamic culture. There's neither heterosexual nor homosexual culture. They view issues of sexuality not just within a family, but in terms of medical issues. So they, there's no question in Iran that homosexuality is a biological issue. It's not, there's no question as there is here about it being a choice and you need right. to be educated out of your choice. So for example, because it is taken as a biological issue, if you want to have a sex change in the Islamic Republic, you can do, do so in their subsidized 
um, universal health care system because it is something that is biological. And there's the Imam Khomeini, the first leader of the Islamic Republic, issued a fatwa so that there was, it would be clear and there would be no debate or discussion about it. So things like that are taken here as, well, they must persecute gays. Well, that's not really true. The other piece of that is on AIDS, for example. AIDS is treated there with no, really no stigma. It's treated as a medical issue that disproportionately affects certain communities, but it's a medical issue and everyone gets care under their health care system. That's, that's one issue. The other issue that's been so incendiary here, of course, is what he says about Israel. Of course. And that is intentionally provocative, but it's also something where he does not, he has not said what he has been said to have said. For example, he has never said that Iran wishes to or would or would in any way threaten to wipe Israel off the map. That was a mistranslation put out there by the New York Times. And it's something where the reality of what he said is provocative and disturbing enough, particularly, I think, to many pro-Israeli Americans. But we don't even get to that debate because we're so fixated on this, this, this wrong translation. But what does he want to happen? How should it have been translated? Well, I mean, the, the reality of what he said is that... Um, I, mean, I can give you the Farsi. In the regime Ishkalgari Quds, this regime occupying Jerusalem, that's how he describes um, Israel, Bayad must, Safeya Ruzgar, from the page of time or the page of history, Mav Shabad, uh, disappear or vanish. It's, it's not a transitive verb. He's not saying we're going to make it vanish. He's saying that it is and should, it is going to and should vanish. He goes on in the same speech, and, and other Iranians have done, uh, Iranian leaders have done this, Ahmadinejad has done this in other settings as well. They talk about how, in their view, Israel is an illegitimate state. It is, in their view, an apartheid-like state. And in the 21st it, century, it's illegitimate like that, not because it's based, not because it's Jewish, but illegitimate because it denies the right to vote and political participation to non-Jews in, in areas that it occupies. Yeah. Is this, a, is this in, in both of these instances, uh, uh, Hillary, what you just said about the reasoning behind the, their claim of illegitimacy, and also earlier when you were talking about uh, how uh, gay people are dealt with as, as a biological phenomenon, and it was, in a sense, so declared and ordered by religious leaders in uh, in Iran, does Ahmadinejad make policy, or is there behind him always this kind of sectarian, very hard-line Islamic theological justification necessary for everything that he says and everything that the nation does? Well, there are, there are competing power centers. So you have a parliament that makes laws. You have a president who also enacts policy and implements it. Right. And then you have a supreme leader and an entire um, an entire uh, part of the ruling structure of the system that is grounded in um, in the in the in the clerics and the religious clerics and led by the supreme leader. In some ways, it is a religion. It is you, know, you can look at it very analogous to some of our religious institutions. Mm -hmm. But in a lot of ways, it also is analogous to our supreme court. It is a religious institution that is very much grounded in, schooled in hundreds of years of going through law as it is in the religious context, but law. It's a very legalistic structure. So when the Supreme Leader issues a fatwa, it is seen in this kind of legalistic structure, not just that a religious figure has said so. One of the fascinating and really 
important things about the Islamic Republic is that in a way what happened with their revolution in 1979 was that it was a revolution within Islam. It meant that you couldn't have some country um, you know, or provincial religious leader just say something and everyone would have to follow. It really made it organized and, stru and structured um, in a system where there is there um, a lot of the laws were centralized yeah, and debated and, and litigated. But it's a system with very clear clerical boundaries, right? I mean, it's yeah. not. It's well, not but like the difference between what happens in Iran and particularly in Iran in the Islamic Republic, but also within Shia Islam more generally, that mm -hmm. is different than say what happens in Saudi Arabia or in the Taliban sure. in Afghanistan, is they've had a they've had a concept, a guiding legal concept called ishtihad, which is to is to reason in a modern context, like we do with all of our cases in terms of making analogies between one case and another. That is something that they have been working on for hundreds of years, and they bring into the legal system in the Islamic Republic. So while they still have, you know, bad people doing bad things, these are litigated. These cases go through the courts and are, are fiercely litigated in the system. So you have, a, you, have, you have a result that is not perfect, but is constantly being litigated and evolved in a context that makes sense to people in terms of their own background. All right. Go we're going to need to take a little break. When we come back, more with Flint Leverett, Hillary Mann Leverett, the authors of Going to Tehran, Why the United States Must Come to Terms with the Islamic Republic of Iran. We'll talk a little bit more about this relationship between a supreme leader, religious figure, the political uh, entities that govern the country, and also figure out uh, how do we, any of us, know what the folks on the street really want. In the long run, it's we're not there very often. We'll be back on Culture Shocks. You're listening to Culture Shocks with Barry Lynn on the Genesis Communication Network. Our nation's founders believed that all Americans have the right to worship according to their own beliefs or not to worship at all. So strong was their commitment to religious freedom that they enshrined it in the first sentence of the Bill of Rights. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. We call this constitutional guarantee the first freedom. Religion is deeply personal, and Americans must be free to practice without coercion. There must be a separation of church and state. We are on the verge of losing this fundamental freedom. You may wonder, what can I do? The answer is simple. Do what our founders did. Sign your name to a very important document, the First Freedom First Petition. Go to www.firstfreedomfirst.org and sign it today. By standing together, we can send a powerful message to our elected officials. Radio advertising on GCN, the Genesis Communications Network, is simple, affordable, and reaches millions. How do we do it? Let's break it down. First, the simple part. You tell us about your business. <laughs> then our expert radio copywriters write your copy. We hire professional voice talent. Hello there. I'm a professional announcer. And then produce your ad with just the right music and feel. <laughs> Voila. Simple. 
How affordable? 60-second ads on GCN are the most affordable national radio advertising rates, period. And that brings us to reach. Millions of people listen to GCN radio programs on over 700 AM and FM and XM stations and streaming audio live. That's it. A one-stop shop. Creative radio ads. Very affordable rates. Millions of potential customers and customer service that can't be beat. See our current list of satisfied advertisers at GCNlive.com. Then shoot us an email, advertise at GCNlive.com. Do you owe the IRS money that you can't pay? Are tax liens and levies ruining your life? Are you tired of being afraid just to go to the mailbox? If this describes you, then Dan Pilla can help. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla, and I've been solving tax problems for more than 30 years. In fact, I wrote the book that made it possible to negotiate settlements with the IRS, and I've helped thousands of people do exactly that. Call now at 800-346-6829 to learn how I can help you. You know your IRS debt will not go away by itself, but you don't have to live in fear anymore. New changes to IRS policies will help more people than ever before eliminate their debts once and for all. There's no need for you to suffer another day with IRS debt. Call 800-346-6829. I can help you eliminate wage and bank levies, release tax liens, and negotiate a settlement with the IRS that will put your tax nightmare behind you forever. Call 800-34-NO-TAX or go to my website, TaxHelpOnline.com. That's TaxHelpOnline.com. Healthy soils grow healthy plants. So before you plant in your survival garden this year, is your soil healthy? Maximize your crisis garden soil with EM1 from Terraganics. EM1 organic soil conditioner, fertilizer amendment, and compost accelerant provides healthier gardens and faster, efficient garden composting. EM1 from Terraganics.com quickly improves soil structure by increasing nutrient availability and converting organic matter into soil humus. This improves seed germination and root growth, improves plant quality, size, color, flavor, nutrient value of fruits and vegetables and improves shelf life. And when rain is not in the forecast, no worries. EM1 improves moisture retention in soils, helping reduce drought stress. Just like you prepare all else, prepare your crisis garden for maximum yields with EM1 from Terraganics.com. Order now at T-E-R-A-G-A-N-I-X.com or call toll-free 866-369-3678. That's 866-369-3678. Terraganics. Life's getting better. All right, we are back right here on Culture Shocks. We're talking to the uh, two authors of the book, Going to Tehran, Flint Leverett, Hillary Mann Leverett, long, long uh, academic backgrounds uh, and work with various administrations, Republican and Democratic, uh, on the kinds of issues that we're talking about. Uh, Flint Leverett, uh, you and uh, Hillary have both, in fact, including a few minutes ago, criticized commentators and observers in the United States who uh, want a kind of non-military regime change in Iran and that they overlay their own desires for a kind of liberal, secular democracy onto people who don't necessarily want to choose that. And I guess this goes to a, a central question, whether you're talking about the Western news as it covers Iran or covers Syria, or even covers Afghanistan, where we, we think we know a little bit more. How does one figure out what the average person living day-to-day on the streets wants? Do they want to be greater consumers, like the Chinese turned out wanting to be? Do they want more uh, freedom? Or 
are they relatively happy if they could just get a stable government and everyone would recognize its stability? I, I think that the way you, you know, you actually have to be willing to suspend your own preconceptions about, as a Westerner, as a secular liberal, how society, how a political order is supposed to be constituted, and actually try and appreciate what the reality is of what Iranians living inside their country actually want. And, you know, from public opinion polls, from electoral participation rates, from the way that Iranians vote in their elections, you know, you can begin to get a sense of this. And I think Iranians are very, very much interested in having, you know, a voice in shaping their political future. They want a mm -hmm. participatory political order. But, and here's where Westerners have a hard time, they want that political order grounded in Islamic principles. You know, for better or for worse, the Western Christianity decided about 500 years ago, it's still a tortuous process, but sure. we are basically trying to figure out how to separate religion from politics. That people of faith obviously participate, bring their beliefs and values into the political order, but the institutions themselves are not grounded in any particular um, set of religious principles. If you choose that, though, if you choose to go the Iranian route on this, then, Hillary, doesn't it, for example, we were talking about boundaries, doesn't it create a boundary where women within this framework will never have the same kind of actual day-to-day -day advantage or the same political power as male counterparts? Is, is that okay? Well, actually, the precise opposite has happened. If you compare the data between the Islamic Republic of Iran and other countries, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, other um, Muslim-majority countries, that have tried to force, particularly uh, have had tried to force change, mm -hmm. and you compare it to the Islamic Republic, you have data that proves just the opposite, even within Iran itself. How, how so? This, Give me we, some yeah, data. We have this idea that in pre-revolutionary Iran, pre-1979 Iran, all the women were university educated, you know, hair uncovered um, in every profession. That is just not true in terms of the data. In 1979, only 35% of the women um, were literate, and only 17% in rural areas. What the Islamic Republic has done within this Islamic framework is it has invested significantly in educational access at every level, including the university and PhD level, at every level for women, so that today the vast majority, nearly 95% of women, are literate. This has happened in, you know, so you have today the majority of university students in Iran are female. The majority of university students at the best universities are female. In the hardest to get into faculties, like the Faculty of Medicine, are female. But they do it in, a, in an Islamic framework. So, for example, because it's in an Islamic framework, they actually take the chronic injunction of, um, of breastfeeding mm, <laughs> seriously. Right. So women, it's not just an, an investment in education and then after they're educated they get married and have to stay home. There's been this concomitant uh, investment in contraception. Contraception is widely available and greatly subsidized. And women have almost two years of a combination maternity leave and then an hourly leave each day for breastfeeding. So you have some of the highest rates in the world for breastfeeding in the Islamic Republic of Iran with a very, very high Participation rate are there for women in any, the workforce. Are there any what we might call theologically based?
obstacles to the complete, full, total participation of women? Are there any at all in, in theory or in practice? Sure there are. Sure they yeah. are. But what, so let's take one thing that may, may, may be shocking. When the Islamic Republic was formed, they lowered the age for marriage. So under mm -hmm. the Shah, in the Shah's Iran, the age of marriage was 16, minimum age of marriage. The Islamic Republic lowered it to nine, which horrifies many of us looking at it that, in right. a sense, sanctions child marriage. But what happened is that within this context, adhering to Islamic principles and laws and traditions, the marriage age actually went up. It went up from 19 to 24. So what you've had happen is yes, there are barriers, and there, you know, of course, in terms of dress code and some of the sure. some of the positions that women can have, you actually have greater participation in a wide range of professions for women. And again, this is far from perfect, but what has happened, unlike the neighboring countries, is that Iranian women have, for the first time in the history of Iran and probably the history of the Middle East, been able to vote and participate in their political future, which is not perfect, but it is evolving and it is working for the vast majority. The paradox is that I think it's hard for Westerners with a tradition of secularism mm -hmm. in politics to take in. I mean, just this, this whole notion of women having to be having to be veiled. In many ways, this was actually critical to being able to empower women to go to school. In a sense, by 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 doing this, the Islamic Republic took away any excuse that the most conservative father in Iran would have about not to send his daughters to school. Imam Khomeini said, your know, daughters will be, by Islamic standards, properly attired. They mm -hmm. will be, you know, they will conduct themselves properly and so forth. And so you, these conservative fathers, you know, most of whom weren't sending their daughters to school under the Shah, you now have no excuse not to send your girls to school. Exactly. And the statistics bear this out that, you know, the biggest social and educational advances of Iranian women in their country's history have taken place under this explicitly Islamic regime. Indeed. And, and uh, as a practical matter and all the data that you've, why do you think it is so difficult for uh, American politicians, for example, to look at the evidence and uh, uh, develop a greater uh, or perhaps more enlightened view about what could happen if we did the right kind of negotiating with Iran? What is, what's the impediment? To that happening. Well, what, one of the reasons we wrote the book, and we get into the domestic politics and these you know, aspects of society and legitimacy of the Islamic Republic, the entire reason we even get into it is we wanted to really get to this question of why can the United States not come to terms with Iran, with the Islamic Republic? Why can't we negotiate more effectively? As a U.S. government official, I negotiated with the Iranians over Afghanistan, Iraq, and al-Qaeda, and I saw them to be it, it, it very significantly constructive, knowledgeable diplomats. Why can't we then deal with this country as it is, you know, as Nixon and Kissinger dealt with China? Why is that? So we really got into the, the, the domestic politics and the, the legitimacy inside the Islamic Republic. And we come to a basic conclusion that it has much more to do with drivers in our own society, because a lot of what is going on, the Islamization in Iran, is going on throughout the Middle East. But we can deal with it in Egypt. We can deal with it in Saudi Arabia. You know, we can deal with it in a lot of other places that are willing to essentially subordinate their foreign policies to U.S. preferences. All the right. big problem is the Islamic Republic, and this is the other piece of its legitimacy, 
is not willing to subordinate its foreign policy to our preferences and practices and pushes a fiercely independent foreign policy line. All right. We've got to take another little break. If you hold that thought, we'll talk a little bit about some of the uh, internal concerns, including something that's voiced all the time, again, not just on the most conservative uh, network. What about the nuclear program being developed in Iran? And, and by the way, is Chuck Hagel going to be Secretary of Defense? We'll be back for more right here on Culture Shocks. I'm Barry Lynn. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. Every month, Americans United for Separation of Church and State publishes an award-winning magazine called Church and State. It exposes efforts by the so-called religious right to eat away at the core principles of religious freedom. Should your tax dollars fund expensive private religious schools and cut back funding for your local public schools? Should government bureaucrats get back in the business of writing unity prayers for your children to recite at school? Should we teach good, solid science or replace it with religious messages? about intelligent design? Should special interest groups force your school library to take popular books from the Harry Potter series to Judy Bloom novels off the shelves? These are the issues explored every month in Church and State magazine. To learn more, go to www.au.org. Americans United fights to protect and promote the constitutional principle of church-state separation. For more information, please call us at 1-800-875-3707. Food storage? Check. Survival tools? Check. Weapons and water filters? Check. But what about a permanent source of cooking power that can run forever without buying fuel or paying for maintenance? Introducing Afterburner Stoves, home of the original patented rocket stove, the Kelly Kettle, and the Solo Stove. Afterburner Stoves has what you need and now offers all GCN listeners our complete preparedness package with the means to cook meals and sanitize water. Whether you dig in or bug out, cook almost any meal with just a handful of sticks. We already have the lowest online prices guaranteed. Guaranteed. But if you enter coupon code GCN at checkout, we'll knock off an additional 15% and send you our amazing six-hour solar rechargeable light bulb absolutely free, all for only $249. Visit AfterburnerStoves.com or call 866-716-5214, 866-716-5214, AfterburnerStoves.com. Cook hot meals with just a handful of sticks. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporeate e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service, fast, free, same-day shipping, and a 30-day warranty and satisfaction guarantee. So are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle? Then call 870-518-4307. That's 870-518-4307. Or visit LeSig.com, spelled L-E-C-I-G.com. LeSig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker. Hello? Congratulations. For what? For losing all that weight. How do you...
you do it so fast? ASAP. ASAP what? What's that mean? Are you ready to get as skinny as possible, as soon as possible, as simple as possible, and as sexy as possible? I'm listening. Then get with the ASAP program. It's real and it works. No smooth talk, no slick advertising, and no exaggerated claims of success. I've got to know more. Welcome to ASAP, as slim as possible. Whether you have 10, 20, or 50 pounds to lose, ASAP is your weight loss answer. ASAP targets the abnormal fat reserves and makes them available to be burned as fuel and contains no caffeine or hormones. Order ASAP at wholesale prices or join the team to share the business with others. Visit GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. GCNteam.com or call 877-878-4203. Lose weight and look great with ASAP, as slim as possible. Uh, we are back right here on Culture Shocks. We're talking to the co-authors of Going to Tehran, Flint Leverett and Mallory Mann Leverett, Why the United States Must Come to Terms with the Islamic Republic of Iran, and, of course, Let Iran Be Iran, uh, at least up to a point. Now, uh, Flint, uh, a lot of the discussion that goes on, if you watch the cable bottom feeder shows at night, for example, to the extent <laughs> that they talk about Iran instead of missing blonde women in Aruba, um, it, they're worried about the nuclear program. How would you describe Iran's nuclear program and, more importantly, the goals that it has? Um, I think it's wrong to characterize it as a weapons program. The Shah of Iran had a nuclear weapons program. He was working towards that goal uh, primarily with technology that was provided to him by the United States. When the revolution occurred and the Islamic Republic was created, they stopped the weapons-related parts of the uh, Shah's program. They reconfigured the Tehran research reactor, which had been given to the Shah by the United States, given to him where it operated only on fuel enriched to weapons-grade levels. They, the Islamic Republic, paid to reconfigure that reactor so it would operate on fuel enriched to much lower levels, nowhere near close to what you needed for a nuclear weapon. I think that the Islamic Republic, as part of its drive for independence, mm -hmm. it is determined to have its own indigenous nuclear capabilities, including the capability to enrich uranium under international safeguards. In any country that enriches uranium, there is some level of risk that you could eventually enrich this to levels that would give you bomb-grade fissile of material. Course. That's why we have the NPT. That's why we have inspections. That's why the IAEA continues to certify that there has been no diversion of nuclear material in Iran. If, if you envision, for example, a decision being made by a government down the road to enrich to the point of weapons grade, I mean, I used to have this argument when I, I used to do a radio show with Oliver North, and I, mm -hmm. you know, what, what did he think would happen if there was a nuclear weapon and the capability of sending, and I don't think there's anybody thinking they're delivering it to the United States, but delivering it to Israel. What would the reaction be? Wouldn't it be literally, quite literally, suicidal to do that anyway, even if they chose to create such a device? Absolutely. And
and Israel's own defense minister, Ehud Barak, you know, a score of uh, retired and currently serving Israeli generals, senior intelligence officials, so forth, have all said publicly on the record that they do not believe, even if Iran did get a nuclear weapon, they are not going to use it um, against Israel precisely because they know what would, what would happen to Iran in response. What Israel is really so concerned about, and Barack has said this on the record, is that if you had an Iran with a certain level of nuclear capability, not even weapons, but just a certain level of capability, it would mean that the next time Israel wants to reinvade Lebanon or reinvade Gaza, that Israeli decision makers might have to think twice about it. Now, that doesn't mm. mean, according to Barack, they wouldn't necessarily do it, right. but it would make the decision making more complicated. This is not an existential threat to Israel. It is at most a challenge to unfettered Israeli military dominance and freedom of unilateral military initiative. It is not an existential yeah, Hillary, Hillary, let me uh, have you jump in here, and uh, in addition to what you were just about to say, tell me what, if you and uh, Flint were able to start negotiations now, you were invited by this administration, what are the negotiating points that you want to make? How should they be resolved? about nuclear policy or anything else? Give me a couple of steps that you would undertake. The, the critical thing is, is not just to talk to, to Iran. We've right. talked to Iran in multiple contexts. And, you know, we look, we look at the analogy and the episode of Nixon and Kissinger going to China. There was this idea that the United States had never spoken to China. But, in fact, they had had 136 meetings at the ambassadorial level. And the real insight that Kissinger and Nixon gleaned from that was the more they talked about grievances, the further entrenched they got in their positions, and it really institutionalized stalemate. So the breakthrough, the real strategic insight they had was to literally, as the subtitle of our book borrows from, I mean, the title of our book borrows sure. from, was to go to Beijing, and that's why we call our book Going to Tehran, which involves, first and foremost, going to Tehran strategically and intellectually, which means, and the reason why we focus on this, on the enduring nature of the Islamic Republic as it is, is acceptance, to accept the Islamic Republic of Iran as the legitimate as a legitimate government and a legitimate system governing that country, that if it's going to be changed, it'll be changed only by its own people, nothing to do with us. Uh, John Kerry is going to be the next Secretary of State. Is, is Senator, former Senator of uh, Nebraska Republican Chuck Hagel going to be confirmed as the Secretary of Defense? And assuming that's the new team, Hagel, John Kerry, will that kind of initiative be undertaken? Well, I've seen no evidence of it so far. I think certainly Kerry and if Hagel is confirmed, uh, Hagel as well, have, um, have shown a, a disinclination to pursue the same types of interventionist policies that this administration and the administration before it pursued, which could be encouraging to Iran. But we have seen no sign of this willingness to accept the Islamic Republic. And that would come in a, in a couple of very concrete ways. One could come on the nuclear issue. One of the sticking points that Iran has insisted on from, from the beginning is a recognition of its right, both its sovereign right and its treaty right under the NPT, to enrich uranium under international safeguards. We have been under Republican and Democratic administrations steadfastly against recognizing that right that we recognize for any other country we see as legitimate. If we could recognize that right and then just focus on insisting 
you know, that they adhere to their, to their commitments um, and increase transparency, that would be something that would go towards accepting the Islamic Republic. The other piece is what Nixon and Kissinger did that was concrete, that is critically important, is they stood down from some of the aggressive, antagonistic steps the U.S. was pursuing at the time. For example, Nixon ordered the CIA to um, impose a moratorium on covert operations in Tibet that mm-hmm. were they were meant to undermine Correct. the People's Republic of China. He also had the Seventh Fleet stop pers- um, uh, pursuing an aggressive um, their their aggressive. Uh, uh, the Seventh Fleet was aggressively uh, patrolling the shores the, 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 the outside Correct. of China. Yep. Was to, to stop that. Those are two things this administration could do. They inherited from the Bush administration at least at least a four hundred million dollar covert operations program to undermine the Islamic Republic, from what's been reported publicly. Mm. That's something that can be turned off or at least scaled down, and the Islamic Republic would see that as a sign of acceptance. And the same thing in term, instead of constantly increasing our fifth fleet patrols in the Persian Gulf and our dramatic armaments of Persian Gulf countries, we can scale that back as real signs that we accept the Islamic Republic as it is. And then a negotiation over the aspects of differences can be uh, really delved into. Uh, Flint, let me ask you one final question here. We're chatting about about Tehran. We're talking about how it's been covered, what's going on. How much do you think the average United States senator knows about this Republic and about what is really going on there, because presumptively you, you make decisions uh, not just on appointees, but on military and foreign policy expenditures based on real knowledge. Where do most sitting senators get their information about Iran? I, they, they get it from uh, the, the usual sources. They get it from the pro-Israel lobby, from, from groups and organizations allied to the lobby. They get it from Iranian-American expatriate groups that, that, um, whose families fled the revolution and don't like the Islamic Republic. And they have a very, very, um, it's not just that they don't know, it's that they think they know, but that their picture mm. is, is really dangerously distorted. And there's no weight of organizations or individuals like yourself who can possibly sort some of this out. Look, one of the reasons we wrote this book mm-hmm. is because we were on the inside working yep. at the White yep. House in the run-up to the Iraq War before we quit in March of 2003. And we saw then how most of the institutions that Americans count on, mm-hmm. in theory, the Congress, yep. the media, public intellectuals, yep. think tanks, with some very you know, courageous exceptions, most of those institutions basically yep. tanked. They tanked, and but... So the book is a good countervailing thought to the tanking. Uh, we are out of time, but I want to thank Flint Leverage, Hillary Mann Leverage. The book's called Going to Tehran. If you think you know a little bit or a lot, you might pick up the book, learn a lot more. That does it for today's edition. I'm Barry Lynn. We'll talk again. This edition of Culture Shocks has been produced by Diane Robinson, engineered by Dwayne Davis, and the Genesis Communication Network technical staff. Visit us online at cultureshocks.com.
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Feeling like there are too many pressures and demands on you? Losing sleep, worrying about tests and schoolwork, eating on the run because your schedule is just too busy? You may be under too much stress, and it may be affecting your mind. Get your mental edge back with Nootropic Mind Power from MindRegard.com. Nootropic Mind Power is not a drug, but a natural supplement. Its 12 powerful ingredients are natural and non-GMO, plus it's gluten-free, wheat-free, and formulated by Americans for Americans by an NSF-certified laboratory. Nootropic Mind Power is available at mindregard.com, spelled M-I-N-D-R-E-G-A-R-D.com, and comes with a 100% money-back guarantee. Free your mind with Nootropic Mind Power Cognitive Supplement from MindRegard.com. Mind Regard. Clearly see tomorrow and yesterday. Today. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. Call 1-877-979-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. So, disable the cable and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-877-979-MY-TV. Right now, to sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and up to four rooms. 1-877-979-MY-TV. Don't miss a minute of the action. Check out the podcasts at www.kcaaradio.com. The station that leaves no listener behind, AM 1050 KCAA. Last year, Sheriff Tommy Gage of Montgomery County, Texas, was eager to show off his new surveillance toy. Having been given a $300,000 Homeland Security grant by the federal government, His office had become the first police agency in the nation to have its very own drone, a pilotless aircraft to monitor and, yes, spy on people. This beauty came with a deluxe eye-in-the-sky package, including infrared detection equipment and a power zoom camera. Filled with pride, the sheriff summoned the media to a big photo op last March to witness him and the drone strutting their stuff. To add drama to this show of police power, Gage also had his SWAT team attend in full riot regalia, positioning them in their Bearcat, an armored vehicle. The ground controller launched the pilotless aircraft as the sheriff beamed. But the demonstration went horribly wrong. Coming in for a landing, the high-tech marvel suddenly went on the fritz, losing contact with the controller. Not only did it crash in front of the startled media, but even more startling to Sheriff Gage, it crashed right into his SWAT squad's Bearcat. Luckily, the armored vehicle held up, so none of the SWAT teamers were injured. But what a show. 
For one thing, the photo op showed that if the American people don't stop the reckless rush by the police industry complex to deploy thousands of domestic drones in the next few years, all of us had better be shopping for bearcats to drive. This is Jim Hightower saying, Oh, in case you're also concerned that these spy machines will crash into our Constitution and be used to invade our privacy rights, Sheriff Gage says not to worry. No matter what we do in law enforcement, somebody's going to question it, grumps the Lone Star Sheriff. But we're going to do the right thing, and I can assure you of that. Hmm, how sure does that make you feel? This is KCAA. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number. Call 1-877-979-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. So, disable the cable and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-877-979-MY-TV. Right now, to sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and up to four rooms. And there's no equipment to buy. That includes your free HDTV upgrade, your free DVR upgrade, and your free professional installation. Call 1-877-979-MY-TV. 1-877-979-MY-TV. So, what are you waiting for? Pull out your major credit or debit card. Call 1-877-979-MY-TV. 1-877-979-MY-TV. Disable the cable, cut costs, and get more. Call 1-877-979-MY-TV. 1-877-979-MY-TV. You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that leaves no listener behind. Like a battlefield, there's a battle for the soul of America. We can't let him tear the kingdom down. This is no game. This is war. Flesh and blood. It's between the bad and good. We can't stop until the trumpet sound. This is war. Not a game we're playing. This is war. The only question is, which side will you be on? It's time now for a call to decision with Pastor Butch Paul. Hello and welcome, my friends. This is Pastor Butch Paul. It is the 28th day of January 2012. Welcome to the program wherever you are around the country, around the world. I mean, I really mean that. Thank you for being there. And thank you for the emails that we receive from all around the world. I, I do appreciate that. It's amazing we have listeners and callers from Australia and emails from Hong Kong and, and, and Russia and Greece. Thank you for being there tonight. I do appreciate that. Let us know if you listen tonight, wherever you are. Africa, we get, we get emails from there. Wherever you are tonight, won't you send us an email and say hi to us? We would love to hear from you. I sincerely, sincerely do mean that. Now, I want to make a couple of announcements before we go to our guest tonight. Uh, we are giving away a satellite dish. Again, in February, just give one away today. As a matter of fact, a lucky couple in in uh, Alabama is going to be receiving a satellite dish from Rick Satellite. And, folks, 
If you don't, if you want crystal clear reception of this broadcast and many, many, many more, plus a lot of alternative news radio station, uh, TV stations, you need to call. You need to call Rick Satellite. You'll not find a better deal anywhere uh, on on something like this, and a better quality you'll never find. So, if you want to know what that number is, you call us tomorrow at eight hundred seven 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 four four zero three. We'll tell you how to get a hold of Rick. We'll give away a satellite dish along with a case of food and a, a, a Berkey water filter. Every month now, we did the water filter and in uh, the, in the uh, case of food last week. Well, the satellite went out today. Rick has has a men now in stock, so we're back on track again. And a couple up in a uh, couple down in Alabama is going to be receiving a satellite system that's going to tickle them pink. I know it is. Two prayer requests tonight. One for Sonia Yoder. I mentioned her quite often this radio show. They're going to do something to Sonia tomorrow to try to relieve some of her. I guess discomfort, you know, you know Sonia's been fighting cancer for quite a while. A lot of swelling, a lot of fluid retention. We're going to try to do something more to help Sonia. So please keep Sonia, Jeff, and Adri- Adriel in your, in your prayers tonight. Please. Uh, that Lord will give them comfort and strength, okay? Also for our brother-in-law, Marcia Jean's sister, Robin, and husband, Mike. A very serious problem with his heart. He has to go to Charleston tomorrow and have a cat.